Indie or AAA? Indie. Free to play or pay to play? Free to play. iOS or Android? iOS. Super Mario or Sonic? Ah, Super Mario. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're listening to Level Up with Melissa Zalouf from Iron Source. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing, and of course, playing mobile games. Today on the show, I'm very excited to be hosting Paula Nevis, who was the CMO at Gazeus Games and just recently moved to Square Enix Games. Paula, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you guys for having me. So today on the show, we're going to be talking about behavioral economics and free-to-play games based on this awesome article that you wrote, Paula, um, and on how developers can use the principles of behavioral economics and apply them to increase engagement and conversions in an in-game economy. But uh, maybe before we dive into what sounds like a relatively hefty subject, Paula, maybe tell tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in gaming. You've obviously been in the industry for a while. How did you get into it in the first place and why? Okay. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a you know weird path that I took, but in the end, it all worked out. We like weird. Yeah, me too. So <laughs> it all worked out. Um, so I'm a psychologist. That was my major. Um, but like halfway into into college, I realized that that wasn't what I really wanted to work with. Um, I, I had patience and everything because we had to do internships. And um, I realized that wouldn't be um, the best path for me. Um, as the huge nerd that I am, I started studying marketing on the side. Um, sure. And... Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, marketing. So because I, I really thought they had, you know, psychology and marketing had a, 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 like a an overlap, even though people really didn't see that at the time, which is super weird. But anyway, true. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did a, a postgraduate degree in marketing. And that's how I started. That was 12 years ago. And I've been doing pretty much user acquisition as my main thing for these 12 years out of which six in the gaming industry, which was always my biggest dream. Were you were you a gamer as a kid? I'm a huge gamer. I have a huge gaming tattoo on my back <laughs> with all these different characters. And I've always wanted to work with gaming. So, And then when I came into mobile free-to-play, I was like, okay, universe, thank you, because this combines like psychology. I don't have to, to put it all to waste, you know? Um, and... It's perfect in the end. It worked out really well. Good. I mean, well, I, I it seems it seems to have done. And definitely <laughs> yeah. I can see, um, I think many people can see the overlap or the relevance of psychology. I don't think you can really do marketing well if you don't understand psychology to a certain degree. Yeah, but the weird thing is like when I was starting out and I, I wanted to get a job, land a first job in like UA or marketing 12 years ago, at least here in Brazil, I'm from Rio, right? So um, people, people would ask for like a business degree or a marketing degree. And when I showed up with my psychology degree, they would just like shun me out. Like, no, this is weird. Go away. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> but um, in the mobile free-to-play industry, at least it's seen as a super asset. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> landed in the right place. Yeah. So so let's talk, um, I mean, psychology, behavioral economics. Um, for those of you who haven't read Paula's article, definitely go check it out. Um, for our listeners, maybe can you sort of give us a breakdown of what behavioral economics is? Yeah, sure. So it's it's when you combine uh, a lot of different people have done this. So it's when you combine behaviorism, which is a branch in psychology with economics. So there are two like there are two major um, 
you know, authors that have written a lot on this, and that's Dan Ariely. I really recommend his book, Predictably Irrational, and um, Robert, Robert Saldini, who wrote Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. Those two books are like a really good start if you want to study this. Um, so these guys and other guys decided that it would be a good idea to combine psychology and economics, and especially the, the branch of psychology called behaviorism. Um, I think a lot of you might have studied in school the uh, Pavlov dogs and conditioning and Skinner box. All of that is behaviorism. Um, it's a branch that studies human behavior and believes that all these behaviors are a reflex that emerge due to different stimuli from the environment. And in the beginning of like mobile free to play, there was a lot of criticism around this because developers were allegedly creating Skinner boxes um, in the first games that, that first came out. So even though this has changed and improved, it still makes a lot of sense combining behaviorism to economics. And Dan Ariely in, in Predictably Irrational, he basically says that even, even though a lot of like the get-go purchase decisions that we make, they seem irrational, there is a predictable pattern to that irrationality. And the study of that and how to reproduce that to sell more um, is what these guys study. Got it. So basically, behavioral economics, using psychology to understand and potentially influence how we make purchasing, how and why we make purchasing decisions. Yeah. So now sort of if we're looking at kind of the um, categories or types of purchases there are, there are sort of three, if I'm right, uh, distinct categories. You have tight wads, you have the unconflicted and spendthrifts. Um, can you sort of go uh, into that a little bit? Yeah, so those those um, three different categories, they refer to the friction in the purchasing moment. So um, we all know there's a friction um, that comes into when you have to decide to buy something because it's painful to spend money. So um, <laughs> some people might disagree with we you, have, but yes. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes it's painful. <laughs> well, during the moment it might be good, but afterwards yes. when your credit card invoice comes in, it's <laughs> a bit complicated. But uh, um, I mean, a lot, especially in, in, in also in UX design, you know, designers hear a lot about this where they have to do everything possible to reduce the friction in the purchasing moment. So tightwads are, are people that are more um, susceptible to that friction. So they will spend less because it's more painful for them to spend. The spends thrifts are the opposite. So they, they don't mind that as much. They're not so, so influenced by it. And the unconflicted, they're halfway there. Sometimes I think it's most of us, right? Sometimes we're we're like, yeah, spending spree, and sometimes we're like, oh no, I have to, <laughs> I have Spell to back. save up. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> dial it back. Um, but it all comes down to friction in the end, and how to to reduce that. Of course, you you, you talked about uh, influencing behavior, and that is true. But I'm very careful in that sense, where for me as a gamer, especially. Being in marketing is is great because um, 
I think I have a view of the of the gamer as well, always in mind because I'm a gamer. So the important thing is you have to have a really good game and enjoyable game, but it won't hurt if you use a few techniques in the way you design the screens and things like that, that will help uh, people, you know, spend a little bit more money as long as you have, you know, an enjoyable game. But we see a lot of games out there that are just, you know, a box of, of these techniques. Mm-hmm. And and sort of just to give us a sense of context, what are um, some practical everyday examples of sort of behavioral economics at work? Um, yeah, I mean, when I, I actually we have at Gazelles, we have what we called Gazelle sessions where we teach the rest of the company about um, different subjects. And when I when I went through this subject with them, at the end, a lot of a lot of the guys there were like, well, now that you mentioned this, I can see that that this works on me all the time. And now I see it everywhere. <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, there are examples everywhere, but at least like here um, in Rio, for instance, you you might be out on the street having a drink and then um you know there i don't know if if you call them hari krishnas yes, or, yes. or what but uh, yeah well we have them here and they will give you um something like usually a flower or a book and you were like you can say no listen i don't have any money but they'll say no it's for free but the thing is it's never for free cuz because one of the the main concepts I, I talk about in the article is reciprocity. So when you get gifted something, you really feel like you should do something back, right? So you feel bad right. for accepting that book just and, mm-hmm. and not giving them anything. And not giving back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So games use that all the time as, as like giving lives and, and having you feel like you have to return the lives um, that you received in Candy Crush. Um that's one example. Another um, would be like restaurant cues. There are a lot of restaurants that will do like a faux cue, <laughs> like just something. Send, send the employees out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, out for a fag or something. Um, and then you think um, you think the restaurant is super full, and that will lead Judith, you know, into social validation, which is when. When you believe that, you know, there are a lot of people there, you know, 75% of people really enjoy this, you know, that sort of technique or, you know, uh, uh, reviews for games. So when you have like five star reviews um, for your for your game in the app store, the person will most likely download the one with the better reviews, the uh, biggest number of reviews because it's been socially validated. So restaurants do that as well. I mean, there are so many examples. Um, and and people get crazy spotting them afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm probably going to start noticing them a lot more now. Um, what what made you start thinking about behavioral economics in relation to to free to play games? Was it kind of always part of your the way you were thinking because of the psychology degree, or was there kind of an aha moment when you were like, oh my god, I could use this in you know, or we could use this in gaming? Um, yeah. So when I when I started in gaming six years ago. I was sort of using a lot of them without knowing that I was using them. I thought I was just being like a, a good psychologist and, 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 and thinking up hypotheses from our users and acting on them. But then I didn't even know that was a field um, six years ago, really. 
And then I started reading some of the books that I mentioned because um, I came across them and I was like, okay, this, this makes a lot of sense because this seems to put together two things I really like. And then I started reading them and I was like, oh, oh hang on. I sort of knew this without putting a name to it. And so, but of course I learned a lot more after I started uh, studying the work from all these different, different um authors and but the aha moment was when I really started reading about it and then I went into a rabbit hole <laughs> trying to understand it and then of course trying to apply them to, to mobile free to play because these these guys I mentioned they're just talking about the concepts and they treat it with different names but it in the end it's the the same thing um, and then I started in the mobile industry uh, free to play industry um, five years ago. And that's when I was like, okay, I think I can get this and join this to, to what I read. And a lot of other people have done that as well. I, I'm fortunate to have, you know, all this material out there. Do you think that behavioral economics when applied to kind of an in-game economy are really only kind of applicable to IAPs or can we take the same principles and make them work for ad monetization as well? Yeah, I mean, um, you you said in-game economy. So as long as the game has an in-game economy, um, it's fine. So um, all most of, of Gazeus's games, they're ad-based. So um, you can apply them as long as you have, for instance, RVs. If you have rewarded videos, um, it's presupposed that you'll have an economy behind that. So you can you can apply the principles to know like where to better show um, your rewarded video, how to lay out the screen um, for that, and what's the best moment, and how to ask um, for their view so that you can incre increase the opt-in rate. Um, so it does work with with rewarded video as well. Interesting. Well, in, I think in, in many ways, that's also because rewarded video in a sense is, yes, it's an ad, but it's also a, an integral part of the economy. It just happens to be also an ad versus kind of a yeah. slapping an ad on top of a game. Exactly. I think, I think of course, the, these techniques are, are, are better used if you have IAPs because that just opens up the, the breadth of things you can do. Um, but since rewarded video is you know, economy, like you said, um, it is applicable very much so. Mm -hmm. And let's say we were to sort of, because you, you cover some super interesting examples in your article, um, which I'd kind of love to cover here too. So can we kind of dive into one or two examples of behavioral economic principles at work in games? So um, decoy pricing or anchoring and priming, they're all pretty wacky uh, when you understand them. Um, and then you also see how they work in, in real life. So yes, any any or all of them that you want to go into. Okay, sure. Yeah, um, I think decoy pricing um, is one of the most like, both decoy pricing and anchoring are, are really crazy. <laughs> but um, well, decoy pricing, it's when one's preference for an option will change after you present them with a similar but less attractive option. So that works really well with subscriptions and pricing. And it might sound weird, like if you have three different plans for your game, you have a subscription in your game and you have three different plans. And um, they have, of course, three different um, pricing uh, levels. And then you would sort of 
just burn one of them, like one of them, the pricing would be super expensive. It wouldn't make sense. But that's just because that one is the decoy pricing to be able to upsell the the third most expensive expensive plan. That's a very like common technique. There's a really famous example of that in the economist i mean they they had they started that with a a subscription service that they had and they would have like the online subscription would be 59 dollars. the print subscription of the magazine would be 125 and then you would have a print and web subscription for 125 (laughs) as well and that makes no sense right i mean but but it seems like all of a sudden 125 seems like, you know, a bargain. It's a steal. <laughs> it's a steal. I have to do it. So, you know, so. I think I've actually seen that somewhere and wondered to myself, why have they done that? It makes no sense, but I I never really paid attention to the fact that it made the by implication, it made the more expensive options seem like a bargain. Exactly. So, just as a, a as an example, like uh, Dan Ariely, he conducted a study on this, and he found that when he presented this thing that I just described, 84% of people would go for print and web, um, and only 16% would go for the 59 one, the first one, and of course, zero would choose the middle one. How funny would it be if someone did? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would want to interview that person mm-hmm. to understand like, yep. what's happening. <laughs> Were you drunk? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but um, when he removed that option, um, it, it really like changed everything, you know, like 68% of people began to choose the first option wow. when he removed the middle one. Um, so it works. Yeah, it works. You know, it, it does make you upsell. And this is very common as well in, in subscription for, for games, you know, more and more, this is something that Google and Apple have been pushing, um, this model, and I see it everywhere <laughs> in a lot of mm-hmm. games. And uh, what about sort of anchoring and priming, which just sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anchoring, it, it, it's when it gets like really crazy. <laughs> Um, it's basically anchoring. It means that like people, they usually, they don't, um, just register a price exactly as it is. They will register anchors like this is expensive. So this, this is cheap. Even when we're talking about UA, like we have, we know the LTV of our users and we have an idea of the CPI. So we know we anchor that CPI and we know that anything different than that will just say it's expensive or cheap. So we we tend to people need a sort of a scale, basically. Yeah, yeah. And we we anchor ourselves on the part of the information that we receive when we're, you know, in the decision process to purchase. So so that way we can make decisions, you know, more easily, per se. It's not we don't have to use like there's not so much of a cognitive friction um, when deciding. Got it. So the idea is to is to sort of give your purchaser an anchor that makes the price that you're offering seem cheap. Yeah, and that is when it gets really weird because anchor pricing they're frequently irrational. So um, I I yeah I do mention in in the article that there's a really famous experiment in behavioral economics, and this was done like dozens, probably hundreds of times with different things. But like I would ask you and like other volunteers to price something that you have no idea, like let's say uh, gym bikes, 
Like I have no idea how much a gym bike would cost. I would ask the volunteers to go through like different, like 20 different brands and price them as they think, you know, just looking at them, what do you think um, they would cost? But before that, I would ask them to write down on the paper their social security numbers or, you know, whatever here in Brazil, it's the CPF, you know, you would just write it down. And then it was found that the larger the, the ending of the social security number, the more people were willing to pay for that item. So <laughs> That's crazy. It's really weird. Yeah. Just the fact that there's a big number on the paper would make you price things, you know, as more expensive than, than they are. Wow. Um, and I put a, I put a, a, an example there in the article that people can, can read through it. Uh, but this was repeated with like wines in the supermarket. Um, the, the behavioral economic peeps, they really love supermarkets. <laughs> they do a lot of uh, different experiments in supermarkets. I love them too. But, <laughs> for maybe different um, reasons. Yeah, for different reasons, for sure. Um, so it's really weird, you know, like just the fact that there's a number written there. If it's a large number, people would be willing to pay more. And then if it's a, a smaller number, they would price things as cheaper. So like, We see a lot of these practical examples out there, just like, you know, you putting like Amazon will show like products with higher prices together with products with low prices. So in a game, you would be sort of presenting different kind of, you know, coins or swords or kind of a set of lives that were super expensive versus two or three other options that are much cheaper. Something that I really like doing, for instance, is you can put like in your store, in whatever option you want to push more, you can say like, I don't know, 3,000 of these items were already sold. This will will serve two purposes. First, it'll have like a big number there, like 3,000, 3 million or whatever. And it will serve as social validation as well. Wow. Like so many people think this is awesome. So you should buy it too. Otherwise, you, you don't know what you're doing. This is shady. This is um, so shady. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it, it has to be true, right? I mean, we wouldn't put a number there just... You know, it, it would have been a true number. Like this was sold these many times. Right. It's just so strange that by having something, it's not related. It's a number that's unrelated to kind of the price of the actual thing you're considering buying. But simply because it's yeah. a large number, something happens in your brain that says, okay, I'm in big numbers land now and I can pay more for something, which is just crazy. It's crazy. I, I said it was crazy. <laughs> and then and when you combine that with priming, which is priming pretty much just means um, that it's difficult for us humans to distance ourselves from the first impression. So once you anchor something and that's your first impression, it's really painful to like undo that. So when those two work together, you don't even feel it, which is weird. But then of course that once we're teaching this to people, they all start paying attention to that. <laughs> and they will like, I, I, I frequently catch myself saying, oh no, oh no, you're not going to do this to me. I see what you're doing. <laughs> I'm not going to fall for it. Your eyes are open. Yeah. So do certain kind of behavioral economic strategies work better for specific game genres? Or do they sort of apply equally across the board? Um, well, as long as you have a, if, if you have IAPs, you can use a full scope of a lot of the things. But I think it, it'll depend 
on the genre in terms of the type of user. So, for instance, a lot of hyper-casual games in the beginning, they were just ads and, and they've started becoming a little bit more just how can you say it, just more complex. And they've started adding subscriptions and collectibles, right? But like the audience behind that game is not like an audience that is used to doing a lot of purchases. So they're more, probably more, a bigger percentage of them would be tightwads right. rather than like a hardcore game. And, 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 and it also varies with the geo, right? So like Japan and, and China and places like that, they have people that are more like more spendthrifters, you know? So it, it does depend, but you can still use them even in the hyper-casual games, as long as they have a subscription and as long as they have IAP options and RV options. But I think it would be on certain geos and, and certain genres, it would be like the difference would be bigger. Like we would see a, a bigger jump in conversion rate and ARPDAO and things like that, um, depending on the genre. Mm-hmm. And so let's say you're you're advising a game developer building their first mobile game, or not even their first, but a new one. What's the best advice you can give them when they're tackling designing their in-game economy and they want to use sort of behavioral economics? Is it starting off by saying, okay, what kind of users do I have? Are they tightwads? Are they unconflicted? Or are they spendthrifts? And then sort of going from there? Yeah, sure. You have to, it all starts with data, right? So you have to try and understand what's happening with your users and at what point they're getting stuck, if they are getting stuck, to try and build a hypothesis on it. And then depending on, on what the data shows you, you're going to choose like different techniques. So if you're selling too much of a bundle that you don't want to sell, of course, you're going to apply certain techniques to upsell rather than other ones. So it'll start with data. But if you're just launching a game from scratch and you don't like you don't have data yet, I would recommend to just do a lot of reading on the subject because I mean, if we start going into pricing, for instance, just like the different things you can do in pricing, it'll go like really down the rabbit hole because there are more than like a hundred different pricing techniques. So another weird one, for example, um, I like weird examples. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like if you choose, like if you're pricing your game and you choose numbers with fewer syllables, that will allegedly converge, converge more. You Wait, know? fewer syllables better than more. Fewer better than more. So okay. supposedly it would be better to price your game at 2816 rather than at 2782 because it's five syllables versus wow. seven. And the explanation to this it's like when, when you're looking at the pricing, like the bundles, uh, different bundles in the store, you're saying that price in your head and you take longer to say it's seven syllables than to five. And that might be... There's more friction. There's more friction. That might be enough time. Those are split seconds, um, enough time to like, ah, no, never mind. Wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, even like when you have uh, a thousand or upwards in pricing, just removing, not using a comma, like one comma five nine nine, just using like one five nine nine or even removing the dollar sign. All of those things are, are recommended for pricing, even though like removing the dollar sign for UX, I don't recommend. I don't like that. But, you know, like just just for everyone to have an idea of like all everything that goes into play here. So. There's a lot you can study and that's how I would recommend to, to do it. And especially like product managers, marketing people and designers, they have to really know this. It, it really like will open people's eyes to study up on this. 
Mm-hmm. So my last question then um, kind of connects to that. If you're looking at the industry more broadly, um, and and actually in a, a recent podcast I did with um, Joe Kim, we were talking about root cause analysis. And he said, you know, unless, you know, you have a background in management consultancy, you, you might be unaware or you might not have come across these sort of approaches to thinking and problem solving and um, et cetera. And, and you've come from a psychology background and you're bringing sort of behavioral economics to free-to-play games and, and a applying those principles there. Do you think, or how often are developers today leveraging concepts like this when they tackle uh, monetization and building their economies? And do you think kind of going forward, we're going to see a big shift in the industry to becoming more savvy and sophisticated in how we sort of build monetization strategies or in-game economies? So yeah, I think from when I started studying this from now, it has like improved a lot, you know, the awareness about this. Um, of course, that a lot of a lot of developers and and the guys in Social Casino are really good at doing this. Like they're used to using data and like their BI structures to you know cherry pick an offer for a specific user because his LTV in the last ninety days was you know like two hundred dollars. So there's no point in me offering them one ninety nine like a bundle for one ninety nine. I would offer them a bundle that was a hundred and now it's like 50. And then for someone that only spent like $5, I would offer the, like, it was five and now it's 0.99. This is something that's done like a lot already, um, this sort of segmentation. And of course it improves conversion rates massively just doing that. But I think like I've, I've started seeing a lot of articles on this already. Um, the Deconstructor Fund, which is a, a blog that I really like, they've they've also written up on this. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, they're amazing, and 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 they've written up on this. Um, there are some UX people that work with gaming or that study and profile games that have put articles up on LinkedIn. So I'm starting to see this pop up everywhere, and this is like the first step towards awareness, right? It's just people like us that are nerds, you know, and are studying this. It's a nerd revolution. Yeah. You know, um, geek out with me, please. (laughs) So I think if we keep spreading the word, it'll it'll keep going, you know. So um, it has improved a lot. I, I can see that not only people are being more savvy in terms of like the influence of psychology in mobile free to play games, but they're also like, they're also becoming even more savvy in the like data driven monetization part. And the, this all works together, right? Yeah. But I would love to get to a point where I really wouldn't have to explain to people like why it's super cool that I work with mobile free to play games and I'm a psychologist. Like, I, I really wish I could reach that moment where people would just say, okay, you know, um, you're a psychologist and this is awesome, you know. Um, but I think we're getting there. I'm I'm happy on how things are, are moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, thanks, Paula, for being with us on the show today. It's been super interesting, but then I pretty much assumed that would be the case. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Tune in next episode for more game industry leaders talking all things game growth here on Level Up. Game Boy or Xbox? Game Boy. Hyper casual or casual? Casual. Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> punk rock you can you can say pass you can be like neither of those neither horrible options so yeah bad religion <laughs> pennywise Na- native or interstitials interstitials ads or iaps ads 
Shower or bath? Shower. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> Got that one right. 